I hope you all had a good Halloween week last week. I hope you survived spooky season for another year. Um, we had fun here around this place at our trunk or treat last week. Um, open and, and glow represented. There's Ash and Chloe and some wonderful rainbow unicorn princess right there in the middle. Um, Crystal, you were my daughter Grace. All of her favorite things all at once there. <laughs> Um, my fam had, had a ninja and a Batman witch, which is pretty spooky there. Um, but the winners of, of all, not that it was a competition, but the winners, I think, may have been the Reeves family, who, uh, who came as the whole Batman extended universe. Uh, Christian back there was, uh, was Two-Face there rocking that. Um, the whole extended universe right there in one family. So whether you dressed up this last week or not, uh, I hope you came through spooky season all right. Because as, as we've been saying recently, there is plenty of stuff in our world already there that's stressful and worrying and, and spooky. But real anxious and difficult stuff as we go. And so these last few weeks, as we've looked at Jesus' invitation in the midst of that to a different, deeper way of life, an invitation to a fullness and a freedom and a flourishing that begins in the profound truth that you are a beloved child of God, beautifully and colorfully made of sacred worth. These last weeks, as, as Crystal has led us into places of rest together, as Hannah led us through an experience of progressive relaxation and expansiveness, it has been for me like a breath of fresh air for my soul that helped me look up and helped me look out a little bit and maybe even begin to live and love a little differently. And so thank you for that. And it reminded me, uh, these moments that we experienced, it reminded me of, of a moment of clarity that my wife shared with me um, from a work trip that she took to, to New York last year. Um, it, when she was there, Lindsay took some time to get out and see the sights and, and take it all in, and it was awesome. But amidst the hustle and bustle of the city of people passing and hurrying and, and pushing their way toward their own thing, there's that feeling of kind of being alone in the crowd, that, you know, that feeling that we can find amidst our world today. And she said that she came around a corner in the midst of that feeling, and she saw this sign that was like a ray of light for her that just said, do not be afraid of anyone. You don't have to be afraid of anyone. And it stopped her in the midst of that. It made her catch her breath, and it reminded her, you don't have to be afraid, not just in the city, but in this big world, with an undercurrent of fear that sometimes causes us to look at each other with suspicion, build walls of, of exclusion or seeking self-protection. Uh, to seek our own interest and stake our own claim simply says, don't be afraid of anyone. And that little message for me when I reflected on that this week kind of cut through the static for me and it broke through the surface and it reminded me of the true life that I want. It reminded me that I've been invited to live from a different place, not of fear, but of love, not of suspicion, but of grace, not of grasping for my own way, but generously opening my hands to each other, to the world, to myself in some ways. It was a reminder to live and to dwell in that different way, in that deeper way, a way of love. And it's challenging. And so we could all use those little reminders. You know, we need those signs just throughout life. I need a sign that just says, like, slow down. <laughs> I think those are called speed limit signs, actually, come to think of it, they do exist. Um, we need those, like, we need those invitations 
to go deeper, to live different, that remind us of the life that we really want. And so this series, we've been talking about that invitation, like a, a sign and signpost that Jesus offers us, an invitation to a different way of life, a life that Jesus embodied and, and taught and shared with all that he met. It's a way of letting our hearts be shaped by love, by the fact that you are, are deeply loved by God at the deepest, truest part of you is wrapped and embraced and enfolded in a love that is even deeper. And though you might not always feel it, that embrace is there. There is nothing that can separate you from that love. And so when we begin to understand that, to experience that, to rest in that, and to live from that place and from that source, God's profound love for you and for all people can become an empowering engine of life. We can open ourselves to God and to each other and to ourselves and love as we ourselves are loved. It's an invitation to live deeper and to be open. And sometimes we hear that invitation like signs we encounter in the world in unexpected places that invite us to go beyond ourselves and to open ourselves to others around us. Today we're talking a little bit about that step of letting love open our hearts, about taking who we are and, and what we have and offering it in service to our neighbor, to the world around us, and to the loving, liberating, and life-giving work of God. But as we'll see uh, in the story that we're looking at today, that way, that way of serving is a different way than the world around us. Uh, that world where oftentimes fear leads us to close our hands around our possessions and power and privilege but perfect love, as Jacqueline read and the followers of Jesus wrote, perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear in love. Jesus said you don't have to be afraid. You are so loved. You can open your hands. And when you do, you will find that you have so much more to offer than you even imagine. And so let's get to the story part of this. So uh, the story takes place toward the end of Jesus's ministry, and he's walking with his disciples, his students and his friends and others, and they're headed to Jerusalem. And as they walk there, Jesus is explaining to them um, that things in Jerusalem are going to get really tough, um, and he'll be arrested, and he'll be handed over. And so this is kind of the context of the conversation that's going on. It says in Mark 10, 32, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. Afraid. And so in those moments of fear, you know, everything gets quiet and just kind of walks along. No one's really saying anything, and it's like a little bit awkward in that moment. And they're walking, and all of a sudden, these, these two guys that are with Jesus, James and John, scamper up to the front amidst that quiet, and they start whispering to Jesus. Hey, wow, Jesus, you know, it sounds like stuff's about to go down when we get to Jerusalem, right? Um, but it, even amidst the, what they were about to face, they had this idea that, that Jesus was going to be king and somehow win in the end. And so they ask him this question. They're like, hey, it's about to go down. So grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. When you win, let us sit next to you. And Jesus just says to them, you do not know what you're asking which I think is Jesus' response to all of the things that I ask Jesus for. But other guys hear James and John angling for the corner office in this great kingdom to come, 
And, uh, and they're not happy. It says, when the other ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. I'm sure they did because that's a super jerky thing to do, right? We can all agree on that. Trying to assure that when stuff goes down, that we're taken care of. What's up with that? So look at how this story begins uh, and where they're coming from. As we said, Jesus describes the road ahead uh, that's about to get really difficult. And he says that those who were following were afraid. That they were living from that place of fear, of uncertainty, of scarcity. That they needed to protect their power, and their possessions, and their privilege. And living from those places can make us to begin to grasp our hands, to focus on making sure that we've got our own stuff taken care of. To be connected not to the true source of life and love that is there for us, but to be connected to our own strength and our own position in the world. But Jesus invites us to lift our eyes in those moments, to open our lives, and to let our life be connected at its source to something deeper and truer. He says you don't have to be a servant to scarcity. You can live and dwell from a different source in a different way. And so Jesus calls over everyone in this moment. He says this to them. So Jesus called them over and he said to them, listen, <laughs> I'm sure that's what he said in the, in the Greek. Listen, y'all, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them. They use power for themselves. And James and John are like, yeah, that's why we want to be in charge of things, right? That's the whole point. And so Jesus says this, and, and this statement is like a sign on the street that stops us in our tracks. He says, but it will not be so among you. Jesus says, I'm a different kind of ruler. I see power and hold it and use it in a totally different way. And you are invited to be different too. And so when you get something, when you get power, you get pocket change, don't say, what can I use this on? Say, how can this be useful? And he's not saying don't be in positions of leadership or authority, but when you get there, live and lead and love differently. Live for something greater. And so he continues, whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first must be servant of all. For the Son of Man, and this is Jesus' nickname for himself, for the Son of Man came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve. In that moment, Jesus just drops the mic and redefines greatness in a whole different way of looking at this. That life is really not about what we do or what we have, but what we do with what we have. What we do for others are the things that we do in greatness. And it's counterintuitive, sure. It's countercultural, definitely. But it rings correct to me. It rings true. I mean, like what I truly want in life, kind of true. We want our lives to matter. We want to make the world a better place. We want to help others, to live for something greater than the superficial, to give life to our family and our friends and folks who need help wherever they are or just at the next cafeteria table over. That seems great, like the great kind of life. But yet, even knowing that, so often I end up just picking the good enough life, the getting by life. I may hold the door for someone from time to time, or I might every once in a while let Lindsay have the bigger serving of ice cream, maybe. 
But when the going gets real, so often I make real sure that I'm taken care of, right? Why do I not do what I really want and live the great life? So this moment with Jesus, with the disciples, is like that street sign that just cuts through the static and invites me to a deeper way of life, a deeper, greater, different way of life, and living from a source that is different. And in the end, is even more powerful than any power I might amass for myself, a different way of life. So I say that way of life intentionally because that's how Jesus saw servanthood. He said it's it's about being a servant of, of all that we meet. It's not about acts of service or occasionally volunteering, although that is a very good place to start. But it's ultimately about a way of being, a way of living. To not just do service, but to be a servant to all. Just doing acts of service means that you pick and choose when to act and who to serve. But true servanthood responds to the needs in front of us, no matter what. Not just serving the needy, but whomever has need, all people. Acts of service, doing service, oftentimes likes to be seen, but true servanthood loves to be hidden. Acts of service like to make a big deal of things, but servanthood delights in the small things too. And it's even happy to wait and not serve when serving might embarrass or disempower the recipient. True servanthood is kind, but it seeks to be more than just nice. It seeks to serve the true need of another and bring about justice and joy and peace in our world. And so when we talk about the way of servanthood, when we talk about embodying and being a servant, it's very important to recognize um, the counterpoint and to state the way that this idea of being a servant has been twisted sometimes, mixed in with religion and coercion to further oppress the most vulnerable uh, by race or by gender or by status, justifying oppression and continued oppression under Jesus' teaching on servanthood. And if you've experienced that, I'm so incredibly sorry. Because what Jesus is talking about here is something different than that. He's talking about how to flip power and privilege here, about how God sees things upside down in so many ways in the world around us. And besides, this way of servanthood is a way that seeks to be life-giving, And so know as we think about these things that if it is ever not life-giving to you or to the people around you, then it is not the Jesus way because servanthood is a choice that cannot be coerced. And so if the relationship is exploitative or dangerous or unhealthy, it is not the Jesus way and this is not what Jesus is asking us to because it's not about fear or being forced. It's about living in the freedom to choose to be and live for more, and to live deeper than just for ourselves alone. And it's important to lay those boundaries, because when we're talking about this life-giving choice, Jesus' way of servanthood invites us deep <laughs> into ways that are, that are deeply challenging, as, as Crystal articulated for us. Jesus' way of servanthood invites us into something beyond niceness and civility, into radical love in action. To, to do actions that bring justice and reconcile and uplift through choosing to take a posture in our life of being a servant of all we meet. And so the great, great Christian writer, Rachel Held Evans, 
uh, wrote about how she, as she was a Southerner, and in Southern culture, nice is just like a way of life, that superficial sweet tea niceness, bless her heart. But she felt, amidst that niceness that covers over things, she felt called to do more. And so I want to read a bit from her essay where she wrestles with servanthood. She says, I've been thinking about what it means to participate in a holy, set-apart kind of kingdom and community, a kingdom in which the greatest are called to be servants. And I've come to appreciate the fact that the only way for such a kingdom to remain distinct in culture is for love to transcend mere civility. So Jesus said, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone wants to see you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Such actions go way beyond niceness. It's a revolutionary way of life. And so recently I've been asking myself a new question. Instead of how can I show kindness to this person, I ask myself, how can I serve this person? And I do not always like the answer. (laughs) Sometimes it involves sacrificing my time, which I actually find harder than sacrificing my money. Sometimes it involves checking my pride at the door. Sometimes it involves being inconvenient. Sometimes it involves being uncomfortable. But it always involves becoming a little bit more like Jesus by blessing, not simply in word, but in deed. And we find through that choice to serve, not just in word or in deed, something amidst the challenge and the tension and the wrestling with what that looks like in action and how to love. We find that in that wrestling, we start to grow. We start to grow a little more in the way of Jesus. We grow in that true kind of life in a different way. And so if you want to practice that this week, just ask that question that Rachel asked, how can I serve this person? And sometimes the places I end up asking that question is in those challenging relationships. And when I ask that question, I just listen in the tension for what kind of creative inspiration comes next. And sometimes the best way to serve is by confronting Sometimes the best way to serve is for me to swallow position and pride and posture and to take on a radical position of love. But all of it, we seek to ask this question, how can I serve in the Jesus way? And so if you really want to grow in the midst of that in a community or a place like this, try this and ask this question. And if you really, really, really want to grow, just try to do it hidden and anonymously to serve someone around you. And I say grow because if you're like me, this hidden kind of service where you do something and no one may know who it was, um, you'll you'll begin to see from my own experience how deeply I want credit um, and reciprocity. And when I serve someone, that there's always strings attached. And so just trying to be anonymous is a great way to confront those own impulses in yourself. Um, and it's like when, I, when I'm, I have this feeling that I have to talk to someone, and so I end up like on, on the elevator with strangers, and I just go like, feel this need like, hey, um, today I, I, I put someone else's shopping cart back in the parking lot, and it was not mine, um, and I did it anonymously. And the person in the elevator with me just kind of like puts their earbuds in and <laughs> tries to make, not make eye contact. But you feel that like welling up in you. 
But then when you begin to move on that direction, you'll begin to start to fall in love with the way that hidden acts of service can send ripples of joy through a community, like little dipping dots of grace that fall from the sky and touch community. So it starts small in these kind of ways, but when you get, begin to grow as a servant, you'll begin to see everything around you as a chance to serve. Common courtesy, active helpfulness, listening to each other, bearing each other's burdens in hard times, standing up for those around us, offering a word of encouragement or affirmation, um, maybe going out of your way to watch your partner's show or the sport that they love, even though you cannot wrap your head around the fact that there are 162 games in a baseball season. It's on all the time. Or like there's 162 doctors in Grey's Anatomy and you can't keep track of all of them. But you serve each other in love. And in doing so, you give life. And what could be greater than giving life to those around you? So servanthood invites us to live from a source and a connection and a life that is bigger than ourselves, beyond our own strength, to live in a different way, to live in and from love. Because in choosing to serve others, it invites us to live from a place of openness, of gratitude, where we live from the place and the true fact that we are a beloved child of God. And so we're free to give love to those we meet. Well, we know that the God of the universe loves you and knows you, and you don't have to earn it through what you do or what you have, and because of that, you can simply love with all that you have and all that you do, and you can love and you can serve because you are loved by the one who came to serve. And here's what's amazing that we find when we serve others, and this is so incredibly counterintuitive, Uh, but we begin to realize just how much we ourselves are loved. When you realize that what you have and who you are can help others, it is so affirming. When you realize that the God of the universe invites you in the truth of who you are to bring life and encouragement to others, to change a person's day or the whole atmosphere of a community, all of a sudden you're not just skating through life with the good enough kind of life. You're a part of something great, a way of life that is greater, living from the true source of life in a different way. And together, you and me in the depth of our spirit and the truth of who we are are connected to that source with our hearts open to each other that we can begin to be a part of the reconciliation and the transformation of this world and that we have a part to play in that. So the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., a man who lived deeply and challengingly connected to a different way of love, Uh, wrote about this Jesus story that we read today. And he saw in this teaching of Jesus not not an act that was just for superheroes to do, but something that invites all of us to be a part. And the invitation to being great by being a servant means that all of us are invited no matter what. And so he says this. He says, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve, which is good for me. You don't have to know Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics and physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. A heart and a soul generated, living from a source of grace and of love of the deepest love. 
and that simple connection and living from that place has the power to change the world and us included. Because Dr. King chose to be a servant, God did something great through him, and he changed the atmosphere of the world in a way that is reverberating and is still needed evermore in our time today. And so like him, when we choose to live from that source and that place of grace and love, not as the rulers around us do, not as those clawing for prime seats or trying to be great, But when you choose the way of servanthood, you and your life becomes like a sign in this world, in the bustling streets that cut through the hustle and the busyness and the static and the superficiality and the preoccupations and the prejudices and the atmosphere of fear and suspicion and declares to the world, you don't have to be afraid of anybody. You don't have to look after your own interests, but be open to the God who is dwelling with you in love. You are more than what you do. You are more than what you have. So the question becomes, what will you do with what you have? God loves you and has life for you as you truly are so that you can offer all that you truly are in service and live connected to that deepest love with a heart full of grace and a soul that is generated and being generated in love. And there is no greater way than that. Let's pray together. Gracious God, whose love and way challenges us. Challenges us to see each other as beloved children of God and to see ourselves that way too. God, this is where it begins from that source of your deep love for us that helps us open our hands to the world, that we are beloved children of God before we do or have anything. And so the question for us becomes, what will we do with what we have? And what we have to offer is simply ourselves. So God, thank you for, for showing us and teaching us that we ourselves are loved deeply. God, in a world sometimes that doesn't always acknowledge it, that help us to live from that source. God, help us in this world to use the power we have, the position we have, the possessions and the privilege that we have to flip the script just like you did, to let ourselves live from the posture of servanthood in ways that bring life, reconciliation, transformation, justice, joy, and peace to the world around us and to ourselves. Help us to connect with a different way, with a different source, and live with souls generated in love. We pray this with all we are in your name. Amen.